The Durable Restoration Company is a proud sponsor of Berguin Wright Presents. At Durable Restoration, they specialize in exterior historic restoration services. All of their craftspeople and artisans are employees and trained in-house using traditional materials, tools, and techniques that are tried and true. They have a long list of historic landmarks across the nation that they are proud to have helped preserve for future generations. For all your upcoming restoration needs, contact Durable Restoration at DurableRestoration.com or call toll-free at 1-877-340-9182. What would it take for you to leave your life, family, and future behind? For some of us, the answer just depends on the day. Because the prospect of putting our troubles, our discontents, and our questions about life behind us is really attractive, if not outright tempting. But redefining your life isn't easy, even for those with limitless resources, like Steed Bonnet. A wealthy planter in Barbados in the early 1700s, Steed was set for life. But the future laid out at his feet didn't satisfy his thirst for something more. So, in 1716, he left his wife, children, and a comfortable existence behind to become a pirate. We would think of it today as a midlife crisis. But the scale to which Steed attempted to rewrite his own story was staggering. He would only live a pirate's life for about two years before being captured here in the Cape Fear region and hanged for his crimes in Charleston in 1718. But Steed's wealthy beginnings and unorthodox origins as a pirate garnered him a nickname, the Gentleman Pirate. So how does someone known by such a non-threatening name go on to spawn both a vicious and unforgiving literary villain and a lovable television goof. The answer lies in the infamous story of a man who left his quiet life behind for a much more dangerous one, lived out on the high seas. Hello and welcome to Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear, a podcast series telling the stories of North Carolina's Cape Fear region through the history of one of its oldest historic sites. My name is Hunter Ingram. I'm the Assistant Museum Director for the Bergwin Wright House and Gardens in Wilmington, and I'm your host for this podcast. This season on Bergwin Wright Presents we are exploring the real North Carolina history depicted in the global phenomenon that is Outlander. The historical fiction book series from author Diana Gabaldon and the Stars series that adapted it for television. The story follows Claire, 
a World War II nurse who time travels back to 1743 Scotland, where she meets and eventually marries a devoted Highlander named Jamie. Together, the Frasers land in the American colonies in North Carolina on the eve of the Revolutionary War and soon find themselves players in the founding of a country. This week on the show, we're hitting the high seas to understand the man, the myth, the gentleman pirate that was Steed Bonnet. Pirates are a curious case when it comes to colonial American history because there's a misconception that the colonies were crawling with them. But in actuality, the golden age of piracy is ushered out in the early 1700s, leaving the better part of a century to unfold before the American Revolution arrives. In Outlander, the character of Stephen Bonnet lives a menacing life more than 50 years after the real Steed Bonnet had been executed for his crimes. Stephen was the Irish captain of the Gloriana, a smuggler, and an endlessly cruel man who had little regard for the well-being of those in his path, specifically the Frasers. Over the years, fans have been curious why Diana Gabaldon linked one of her defining villains to a real-life pirate, particularly one known as the Gentleman Pirate, because people who know Stephen Bonnet certainly know he is no gentleman. She has said over the years that she conceived Stephen as the likely illegitimate son of Steed, possibly explaining the major gulf of time between the real and fictional Bonnets. But she wasn't the only one who found inspiration in the story of this untraditional pirate. This spring, HBO Max debuted a new series called Our Flag Means Death, a comedic take on Steed's story that enjoys the more fish-out-of-water elements of his time as a pirate. It stars Reese Darby as Steed, characterized in the series as a bumbling pirate wannabe, striving for the respect he never found in his previous life. But pretty soon after hitting the water, he partners, as the real Steed did, with Blackbeard, played here by executive producer and Oscar winner Taika Waititi. When you think about these two characters inspired by Steed Bonnet, one a murderous rapist and the other an affable man trying to rebrand himself, it's hard to reconcile where they intersect. Who was the real Steed Bonnet? And what really happened in those two years when he gave up everything he had to be a pirate? Those are the questions we're going to answer today on Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear. Episode 7, A Pirate's Life for Steed. To talk about the many pop culture lives of the gentleman pirate Steed Bonnet, I'm joined today by Jeremy Moss, the author of The Life and Trials of the Gentleman Pirate Major Steed Bonnet. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Hunter. Great to be a part of the show. 
before we start talking about this moment that Steed Bonnet is having in popular culture, he's kind of everywhere if you know where to look, I want to let our listeners know how you came across this story. So how did Steed Bonnet kind of enter your life? Because you've spent several years with him now. Yeah, in a lot of ways, the world is beginning to discover Steed Bonnet as I've come to know him and his story. You know, my book, The Life and Trials of the Gentleman Pirate Major Steed Bonnet, could really easily be referred to as the accidental history of Steed Bonnet. I didn't go into the, the writing process thinking that I was writing a book. I had never written a book before, although I've written some afterwards. It's opened those doors. But several years ago, before my middle son was born, um, I'd spend some early mornings with my oldest son, who was only one years old at the time, and would allow my then-pregnant wife, Katie, to rest. You know, a lot of these times we would go to places like the library or local coffee shops. And on one particular morning, we ended up at a great little local coffee shop in Virginia Beach, Virginia, called Three Ships. And this is one of those perfect places for a father to bring his, like, really young, babbling son, right? It's, it's rustic, but it's vibrant. Um, they've got delicious coffee, great biscuits, and a really cool maritime decor. And for some reason, that always captivated my young son. He would just stare at the, at the knots in the ships. And on one particular visit, I picked up a small book about local ghost stories of Virginia Beach. And, you know, flipping through the pages, I was particularly enchanted by stories uh, about pirates like Blackbeard the Pirate and even Steed Bonnet, who I had never heard of at the time, and how they shared a rich history with Virginia Beach. And I was immediately hooked, right? I was, I was searching for more and more stories about Blackbeard and his compatriots. And on one hand, I was really surprised, first of all, surprised by the lack of scholarly research, right? How many historical works there were about pirates. Um, I expected hundreds, there may have been dozens. And as I read more and more about Blackbeard, I continued to come across one of these lesser known compatriots, right? The gentleman pirate, Major Steed Bonnet. And I think it was the name that really started to hook me, right? How could a pirate be both a pirate and a gentleman? And from the first time I heard his story, I, I was all in on Bonnet. I realized that there were very few works written about him, at least in a scholarly way. He had an interesting life story that had some parallels to mine. He was married. He was a father of three. Uh, you know, he was in real estate like I am. And, and and then he just decided to go pirating. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I've kind of lived vicariously through him over the last couple of years. I think your wife probably hopes that you keep it that way. She, I think she cringes when I make the parallels. But the reality is that it's not a parallel that has drawn me to the story of, oh, wow, that's really cool what he's done, right? He left his family and went pirating. But it's almost the opposite, right? It, it, it has drawn me in, in a way to say, how can somebody that has all that, right, the bounty of home life, all of a sudden just drop it all and leave for a very dangerous profession? So in a lot of ways, it's drawn me despite the fact that I have parallels, not because of the fact that I have parallels. But either way, the, the story is fascinating. The true life story is certainly fascinating. And I hope in my book I've done it justice. I want to talk about both incarnations of Outlander and Our Flag Means Death, but I think we first have to lay some groundwork on who the real Steed was. What do we know about his early life? Because he's not growing up here in the colonies, as I think people might have this impression that he was. Where did he grow up? And what kind of world did he travel in when he's a younger man and a young adult? Yeah, the, the first thing I'll say is when you are a pirate historian, right, and, and that's someone who's very interested in early colonial maritime history, most of those that operate outside of the law have scant historical resources, right? It's hard when you research people like Blackbeard, as an example, to figure out exactly where he's from and where he's been and what his story's like. And Bonnet was different, and it's one of those ways that Bonnet's not your typical pirate. So from childhood, Steed Bonnet lived a 
life of privileged luxury. He enjoyed generational wealth. He inherited a 400-acre bustling sugar plantation on the lush Caribbean island of Barbados. Um, he was provided a liberal education, right, as, as good of an education as you can find, at least uh, on this side of the Atlantic. He married well. Uh, he married another wealthy landowner's daughter. He fathered four children, uh, one of those who passed away early. And he was very respected among uh, the elite of Barbados, right? He was a justice of the peace. He was a member of the Barbadian militia um, who was really responsible for tracking down escaped slaves. Um, and that's where he was given the title of major. So he lived as plentiful as anybody in the world would have. Um, everything that was necessary for a life of, of respect and pomp and luxury, all of the things that a pirate ship are not, uh, Steve would have enjoyed early in life. And it wasn't until he was older, you know, I, I guess he was 28 years old uh, when, he, when he got his humor to go pirating. So it wasn't until he was older that he really kind of struck off and, and left Barbados, the relative luxury of Barbados. For our listeners who are watching Our Flag Means Death, they're going to see that Steed has a very interesting upbringing. Obviously, there's some tension with his father. His father seems very verbally abusive. He is bullied. I mean, it plays into this comical character who wants to overcome his upbringing of not being the cool kid in the room. But do we know anything about his family life? Was this a part of this or is this a creation for people who are watching the show? Yeah, my guess is that that portion is a creation. We do know a lot about Steed's early life, which is tragic. Steed's father, who had managed the plantation for years, he actually died when Steed was very young. He was only six years old. Um, and his mother, Steed's mother, died shortly thereafter. So by the time that Steed was almost seven years old, um, the entirety of the plantation had been left to him um, under the care of a guardian until he reached adulthood. So, you know, I think that's one of those ways that that comedians in particular can can make light of, of life's circumstances and start to create this narrative. But in a lot of ways, it was his childhood was probably tragic, probably different than what was portrayed in Our Flag Means Death and, and certainly influential. But there's no instance, at least in the historical record, that there was verbal abuse or anything of that nature. Now we talk about midlife crises today, and I mentioned earlier that Steed's decision to become a pirate really is kind of a good embodiment of a midlife crisis, even in the colonial period. Again, you just said that he is in his late 20s. That is a bit more midlife because they're not going to live as long as we are. But what do we know about this fateful decision to leave his very comfortable life, his family, his kids, his wife behind and become a pirate? That's a heck of a swing to take. That is a big swing. I, you know, I always laugh at the midlife crisis um, analogy because you're right in, in today's world right you'd go out and buy a corvette and in steve bonnet's world what do you do you go buy a, a sloop of war so it's there's certainly some parallels there but this is really that like infamous hidden taunting why you know why did a man do this uh, leave his family behind and for me that's really the question right why and possibly how at least mentally did he do what he did these types of conversations and questions are, are really the real treasures that are left behind by pirates because the short answer is we don't know why. Uh, we do know that having such luxury that Steve had, he didn't adjust well to family life. He wasn't happy enough to stay put. Um, Steve suffered, as the author of A General History of the Pirates described, some discomforts in his marital state. That same author said it caused Bonnet a disorder in his mind. Uh, but the rea reality is that the reasons for those discomforts are not very well preserved. Now, I certainly have some theories, and some of the options could be, one, 
you know, his early life as an orphan caused him to carry some emotional baggage that was just too much to sustain an already fragile marriage. If he was a young man at six or seven years old when both of his parents died and he basically grew up by himself, to be thrust into a relationship where you're constantly around someone can certainly give you some angst. You know, other historians mention maybe it was the emotional stress uh, for Steed and for Mary, his wife, of losing a, a child at a young age. Um, that could have created some irreconcilable fissures in the marriage. That was a little bit more common then to lose children, particularly at young ages. So I don't know that that's necessarily true. But combined with the other baggage uh, from his, his own childhood, maybe that was a lot. You know, almost entirely absent from the historical discussion, at least, is what happened politically at the time. And you've got to remember, I wrote my book around the time of a presidential election um, in which the country was experiencing significant differences of opinion, some of those in particular households. Um, and it could be that Steed and Mary Allenby were on the, uh, the opposite sides of the Jacobite Rebellion of 1715. Uh, we know that Bonnet himself was a Jacobite sympathizer, and if Mary had different political views, as we've seen even more recently, that can stretch families apart. Maybe, as our flag means death, uh, more than alludes to, Maybe he was trapped in a love life that didn't suit his emotional needs, right? Um, maybe that he didn't find Mary attractive. And then finally, you know, maybe he really did suffer a disorder of his mind, right? Maybe a, a lot of what happens in Bonnet's life is difficult to rationalize. Um, so it could, certainly could be that he was suffering from a bipolar style disorder uh, or dementia even um, because he does have quite a bit of erratic behavior in his life. And some of those things are, are easily explained away by mental illness. That's interesting that he was a sympathizer of the Jacobite Rebellion because that's so central to what we see in Outlander. Obviously, and we're going to talk about this, Steed and Stephen Bonnet are not the same person, but Diana Gabaldon clearly saw something in Steed Bonnet that made her want to pull in this legacy, whether by name or just by association, of a pirate who was very real. And so I think it's interesting that he was a supporter of the Jacobite Rebellion because that's ultimately what's going to send thousands and thousands of Scottish Highlanders after the 1746 confrontation at the Battle of Culloden over to the colonies. And so that's interesting that he does have that tie to Scottish history in a way. Now, where does Steed Bonnet land among his pirate contemporaries? What kind of pirate is he? You mentioned he buys a sloop. Uh, I think the name of it is the Revenge. What does he do in these first few moments of being on his own in this new career? You're absolutely right. One of the most interesting things about Bonnet is not that he was a pirate, but that he was the type of pirate that he actually was. And there's a lot of things um, that make him stand out. So Steed's unusual decision to go from being a wealthy landowner to being a pirate um, brought about some unusual preparations. So most pirates either stole their ships or inherited them from somebody that stole them um, as part of their crew and kind of worked their way up you know, starting out small and gradually capturing larger and larger vessels until they had what they needed or wanted. But Bonnet went out and bought his own ship, the Revenge, which was a sloop that happened to come into Barbados uh, out of Rhode Island. He, he bought it probably using a loan, fitted out for his needs. And he also went and hired 126 men from the Barbadian port, and he paid them a wage out of his own fortune. And this is extremely uncommon at the time, right? Pirates were always looking to take a piece of the plunder, not a wage. And this created some differences in the power struggle between his crew, which was accustomed to being democratic, right? A lot of pirate crews were democratic and can vote on decisions about where to go next and what to do. And because Bonnet paid them a wage, it's likely that he probably called the shots. 
he was also literate and in, he enjoyed the benefits of having a liberal education. So, you know, in fitting out his ship, it said that he built out a very large library in his stateroom. We have found scraps of books and the canons of Blackbeard's ship um, that I'm convinced came from Bonnet's library. These are voyage narratives of the time. So all of that makes him unique. In addition to the fact that he didn't have to be a pirate, right? A lot of pirates of the golden age, you got to remember the context. The war of Spanish succession had just ended. There was a tremendous number of privateers and British Royal Navy men in the Caribbean with really no skill set other than being sailors and fighting in, in sea battles and, and doing that type of thing. But Bonnet missed all of that. So he didn't have to do what he did, which I think makes him extremely unique. Would you say that he is a successful pirate? Well, you know, Steve Bonnet's last act of piracy was 304 years ago, and we're still talking about him today. He had money to start, so I don't know that he was chasing success through wealth. Um, I think that he was chasing success through adventure and fame. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I say yes. But, you know, seriously, even though he only had a year and a half on the high seas, the reality is, is Bonnet did enjoy some success. Early on, especially, um, he has some relative ease in, in taking a handful of ships in Virginia and New York and Delaware. And while that early success probably set him up mentally for a few setbacks later, you know, he did enjoy the benefits of taking dozens of prizes throughout his career, you know, amassing something like $14 million in today's money over that year and a half. So he had a pretty good run, even though it didn't end necessarily well for him. Um, like I said, he had a good run. Now, I want to transition to some of these depictions, and we have been talking about Outlander history this whole time, but I actually want to start with Our Flag Means Death because it's going to hew much more closely to the real Steed Bonnet story. For those who have not been watching Our Flag Means Death, one, I would encourage you to do so because it is quite hilarious. Reese Darby is an excellent choice to play this interesting character that they have created from Steed Bonnet, but he is depicted as kind of this affable, goofy kind of captain who's playing a role. He wants to be a pirate. It's it's rooted in this need for respect that, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't seem to have gotten from his father or his fellow young men in Barbados at the time. On the ship, he's kind of, a, again, I call him a character because he's holding craft time with his crew who are very much a, a misfit bunch of people to create a pirate flag. As you mentioned, he has a, a library of books on the ship that he is very proud of. He wears silk robes to bed. All of this is creating quite the picture of Steed Bonnet. As you've watched the show is it really pulling in some of these sources? It does sound like the library was true, but was he very flamboyant in what he was dressing and, and how he was running his ship? Is there any indication of who Steed was on the water? Sure. You know, I think it's probably best to use a quote by Charlie Chaplin to kind of summarize how this all works, right? Which is, life is a tragedy when it's seen in close up, uh, but it's a comedy when it's looked at in long shot. And, you know, our flag means death is a comedy, right? So it takes this long shot view of Bonnet's life on board, and it expands nuances exponentially. So was Steve Bonnet likable and affable and, and goofy? Yeah, perhaps. Was he Reese Darby likable? Probably not. Yes, he had a huge library, which you, you see on the show. And for me, that, that tells me that his experience is kind of rooted um, in larger than life stories that he may have read about, right? So he didn't see a pirate doing anything on board before he took his own ship. He had read all of these stories in the newspapers and in books. And he 
probably overcompensated in a way that may have been theatrical, right? If you think about it, if if you read a story about, I don't know, somebody with a Southern dialect or somebody with an, a New York accent, perhaps, and then you go to those places and you try to mimic them based on what you've read in a book, you would look like a fool. You would look goofy and affable and funny and just strange, right? So, you know, perhaps that really, really happened. Um, there are accounts of him walking on board a ship in a silk robe. That's true. It was after he had been injured, but the reality is, yes, he had silk robes on his ship. And, you know, yes, he also kind of had no idea what he was doing at first, at least. So as he is portrayed in a way that makes him look ignorant to what's happening around him, absolutely, that's true. You know, the reality is whatever high society habits that he had would have been tamped down pretty quickly, right? It's a very cruel world on one of these pirate ships. It's difficult and dirty and dangerous and disgusting and all of those things. And um, by the end of his life, he probably would have been hardened as a person, at least as at first. Um, you know, I could picture him being this kind of friendly, affable captain. You don't really know what to expect. So you just do what you know. And, and this kind of high society filtered through the lens of a pirate ship probably was what he was doing. And that's such an interesting point, because if he's been reading about it, they're probably not giving you the grimy details. They're telling you the the heroics or the terrors of being on the sea. They're not telling you about the conditions on a pirate ship. And so Steed's going in for an adventure. And one thing that's going to really educate him is you know, being a pirate alongside of Blackbeard. That is a huge component in the Our Flag Means Death series. And theirs is more of a, an interesting partnership slash friendship slash might go sour at any moment. But the real Steed Bonnet did link up with Blackbeard. He is part of Blackbeard's story. So what do we know about their time together and how it changes what Steed is doing out on the sea? Absolutely. They they certainly linked up in a very meaningful way. And I say this a lot, which is you can tell the Blackbeard story without telling the Steed Bonnet story, but you absolutely cannot tell the Steed Bonnet story without talking about Blackbeard. You just have to spend time talking about Blackbeard, one of the most famous or infamous pirates of all time. And they met by happenstance. So Bonnet, as I mentioned earlier, was doing relatively well. They had taken ships along Virginia and gone to New York um, and been in the Cape Fear River and made their way to South Carolina. And it was after leaving South Carolina that Bonnet's ignorance um, of maritime affairs really hit hard, right? The crew looked to Bonnet for direction about where do we go next? And he couldn't figure out exactly where to go. So that they decided as a crew that they were going to go to Florida and fish what were called the Spanish wrecks, right? So in 1715, a, a large Spanish, an armada of Spanish treasure ships crashed along the coast of Florida, which is now called the Treasure Coast and dropped you know thousands and thousands of, of gold coins within a depth that was relatively easy for people to fish them out even without scuba equipment so off the coast of florida bonnet was looking for these wrecks and he attacked what he thought was a large spanish merchantman and in fact turned out to be a spanish man of war and an initial broadside was sent off by the spanish ship as soon as bonnet and the revenge approached and it wiped out half of his crew and among those that were injured was bonnet himself and there were only a handful of able-bodied men um, that were able to flee. And they went straight for the pirate haven of Nassau in the Bahamas. And Bonnet, as I said, was in his stateroom. He was hurt. Um, it's unclear exactly what the nature of his injuries were, but we know that he wasn't, in, he wasn't the captain of his ship at that time. And he couldn't have himself known the impact that his arrival in Nassau would have had on the course of pirate history, pirate lore, or even on colonial commerce and trade. 
And because it was in Nassau that Bonnet met Edward Thatch or Edward Teach, who's known to the world as this notorious, famous uh, pirate Blackbeard. And his legacy after meeting would be forever connected. And as you mentioned, we're not really sure why they connected. Blackbeard and Bonnet struck up either a friendship or a business relationship. And what we know is that Blackbeard took over uh, the captaincy of the Revenge, which was an upgrade from Blackbeard's smaller sloop to this better fit out, larger vessel with more crew members. And we also know that at least initially, uh, Bonnet stayed on board as an observer and kind of like an apprentice uh, to one of the most feared pirates of all time. Now, he spent a lot of time in his stateroom, a lot of time in his library, but I've always supposed it wasn't a hostile takeover, right? It's not like Blackbeard just said, this is my ship now, you have to stay in your room. Um, it was more like a trade of assets. Blackbeard had more experience. Uh, Bonnet had probably heard of him in the Flying Gang, and Bonnet simply had a better ship. And this working relationship was actually pretty good. They had a lot of success over the next several months, cruising around the Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico, and then eventually it would sour a little bit and become more complicated. Uh, they had a very, very good working relationship that ultimately you know, led to the success of both of those pirates. It's an interesting thing to think about, and that's a, a great way to look at it, that Steed Bonnet is, is a smaller tale. He's not the most well-known. For someone who did not have this pirating life instilled in his DNA, he managed to find himself on the same deck as the most feared pirate of his time. In, in a way, and I used to say this more often because I don't necessarily think it's true anymore, but I used to describe Steed as kind of the Forrest Gump of piracy, right? He was always in the right place at the right time, and he got himself in the photograph, or something that he did on accident led to something uh, that was had historical significance. So I, I, I'm getting away from that analogy more and more as I've studied Steed, but at least initially, it always felt like he was in the right place or the wrong place um, to kind of thrust himself into history. That's an incredible way of describing our central Outlander characters, Claire and Jamie Frazier as well, because they always seem to find themselves right where historical events are happening, whether they want to be there or not. Now, let's switch to Outlander because Stephen Bonnet is a younger Irishman. He's living in the 1760s and the 1770s. He's in the colonies, but this is well after Steed Bonnet has been hanged. And we're going to talk about the end of his story in a bit. But Diana Gawadon has said that she conceived Stephen Bonnet as the possible illegitimate son of Steed. And I said in our intro that might explain some of the time difference between when Steed and Stephen are living. And obviously Stephen is a fictional creation. But is there any evidence that Steed may have sired children during his time as a pirate? Not during his time as a pirate necessarily, but he does have legitimate children. All right, we talked about that a little bit ago. He started out with four, one died early. So he had two sons that certainly lived. And the reality is, at least by my math, Stephen Bonnet could really have been a grandson of Bonnet, not likely a son, right? You've got the difference in timing that puts it more likely that that would happen. Now, there is evidence of Bonnet's lineage continuing through his children, right, including those two boys. And I've been contacted several times by several different pockets of families that say they're from the Bonnet descent. Some of those live in South Carolina. Some live in North Carolina along the Cape Fear. Some live in Barbados still. So at least through social media and Facebook, you know, I'm in touch with these folks who are very interested in, in their story. And what I understand is there are some family members that have run away from the story, right, that have changed their names and that there is a name change in the mid-1700s from Bonnet to something else like Bennett. And that there are others that are now embracing it. Uh, but to your point, you know, about Stephen, the historical record doesn't mention 
Bonnet being with a woman at all during his piracy, which is different than others, right? Blackbeard was rumored, at least in the, in the record, to have 14 wives while he was a pirate, including, you know, wife in North Carolina. Other pirates we know had lovers in, you know, Maine and New Hampshire and elsewhere that they would travel and see. Um, but Bonnet, no mention in the record at all of, of being with women, being interested in women, being around women. Now, that could either be because the record is replete, right? It's just not there and that's not what they captured. Or it could be that he had no interest in women. Who knows? I just find it interesting that that Diana has spoken about seeing this as, you know, an offshoot of his time as a pirate. People think of pirates as being very promiscuous, very violent, very, very cruel in this era. And someone known as the gentleman pirate doesn't immediately scream any of these things. And that's interesting because Stephen Bonnet does. He does seem and he acts far more like a traditional pirate would. You know, for example, he's a smuggler when he is first introduced to us on the Outlander TV show and in the books. In the series, on television, he is a slippery criminal here in Wilmington. He's charged with um, all kinds of crimes, and over the course of his time on the show, he's going to escalate to robbery, he's going to escalate to murder, and then, unfortunately, very memorably, he's going to escalate to rape when he rapes Brianna Frazier in Wilmington. And so is any of this rooted in Steed's story? Does he have some of these unsavory unforgivable, very criminal aspects to his life that aren't talked about as much. Yeah, very little. Um, that part of the Outlander series seems to be in stark contrast to Steed's actual story. You know, there's really very little evidence of any personal violence in Steed's history, um, other than a few instances, perhaps, where his quartermaster, um, who was kind of known to be a bad guy, perpetuated it. In his final battle, the Battle of the Sandbars in the Cape Fear River, there is an instance, the only instance, from the record at least, of Bonnet absent cannon fire, you know, engaging in violence in some way, right? So one of Bonnet's compatriots, a guy named Mr. Nichols, he, he decided he was not going to engage in this battle, right? And he was kind of hiding on board the revenge. And Bonnet didn't take lightly to that cowardice. Um, so with his pistol ready, he goes after this guy Nichols. And, you know, he's quoted as saying that he was going to blow his brains out. But other than that, you know, kind of the last battle that, that Bonnet was in, we don't see anything else that he treated prisoners poorly, in fact, he sailed with a couple people that he captured, uh, his captor, William Rhett. There's instances in Charleston where uh, particularly the women of that city were kind of protesting Bonnet being held as a uh, prisoner, probably because he was like them, right? He was educated and wealthy and, and kind of an aristocratic town that had ties between South Carolina and Barbados. So the short answer is no. You know, a lot of that really bad behavior simply is replete from the record. We just don't see any of it. Now, probably influenced by what we have viewed about pirates since Treasure Island and everything else, um, it's probably more likely to be influenced by that. Yeah, and, you know, I shouldn't, I should back up a little bit and not sugarcoat what Bonnet did, right? Because pirates, including Bonnet, were sea robbers. They interrupted commerce. They certainly acted in a way that was violent. He absolutely engaged in cannon fire with with the Royal Navy and with others. So, Maybe it's relative, right? It wasn't that he was any more evil than anybody else, but it was just that he, whatever violence he did was only what he needed to do in order to get his prize, right? Which is the adventure and whatever plunder he takes from the ships. I understood you weren't trying to give him a free pass, but he does seem to be less indulgent. And there Absolutely. is this idea that pirates are going to take 
what they want, whether it's women, whether it's money, whether it's ships, that they believe they are allowed to. And it just doesn't seem, from what we understand of Steed, that he was as indulgent in those many ways as other pirates were. That's a good way to put it. One key component of Stephen Bonnet's story on Outlander is that he is a captain who is afraid of drowning. Now, I think this is a thematic choice on the part of Diana Gabaldon and the TV series writers, but out of curiosity, is that a real known thing about Steed? Was he afraid of the water? As far as a phobia of water, no. But, you know, I, I agree with you 100% that this is a thematic choice, and it's certainly one that can apply to Bonnet really easily. Great example. People will frequently have dreams about drowning. And dreams about drowning, just as an example, can be a sign that, you know, at the time of the dream, you're feeling overwhelmed, right? In your family life, in your work life, in your spiritual life, whatever it is, you've got these overwhelming feelings, which cause you to dream about drowning and be scared of it. It can also represent a feeling that we can't catch our breath, right? And this metaphor for me is, is really telling about Bonnet, which is he's not getting a moment to himself, the weight of the world was probably crushing Bonnet. Barbados is a small island, and you and I would probably like to travel there, and it would be nice. We'd sit on the beach and have a drink. But if you were there in the 1700s without air conditioning, without easy way to travel by plane, that big blue ocean around you could certainly start to squeeze in on you. So it's obvious that he was unhappy in his home life. He was stuck literally on an island um, surrounded by the monotony of his family life and his upbringing. Now, despite his fear... You know, as you mentioned, Stephen, he also, in, at least in certain circumstances, he talks about feeling the power of the sea, right? So in one early episode, he says something like, you know, it's the sea herself that's pulling at me. Or he asks, you know, have you ever felt the sea pulling at you? Now, that is absolutely a parallel to Steve Bonnet. The pull of the sea, the unknown, the adventure, the vastness, and the wanderlust and, and restlessness that that creates. I mean, that's real. And for me, that's really an influence on Steve. And if I had to, you know, kind of boil it down to why did Bonnet leave, I always picture him standing on the edge of the sea, um, just looking out at that big blue clear ocean and seeing a ship on the horizon, right? That's the calling, right? That's the pulling. And for somebody who read about adventure and read about other places all over the world and pe interesting things people are doing, that fear of missing out, right? That FOMO was real, absolutely real. It sounds like he traded one small space for another small space, <laughs> the confines of a ship with much higher stakes. That's, that's a great point. Somebody, I think it was Mark Twain, said that being, being on a ship was like being in prison, except that it could sink. And you're absolutely right that, that he certainly traded uh, a, a, a larger space for a smaller one. Well, Steed is only a pirate for two years or about that because he does meet uh, a final battle. He does meet his end in 1718, and it happens here in the Cape Fear. That is why Steed Bonnet has some relevance in our area. And so what happens to him and his relationship with Blackbeard, and how does he end up engaged in battle on the Cape Fear River? You know, using friendship terms, Bonnet and Blackbeard were on a break, right? They were on a break when they both <laughs> met their fates. Um, both pirates had taken advantage of the king's pardon. That's an, an attempt by the king to offer amnesty to pirates um, in exchange for them no longer participating in piracy. And both Blackbeard and Bonnet went to the governor of North Carolina at the time, Governor Eden, separately, and were pardoned for what they had done to that date. Now, when, when Bonnet was away, Blackbeard double-crossed him. 
So he stripped the revenge of everything useful. He took all the men off the ship and marooned them on a small island. And while Blackbeard sailed around the Outer Banks back toward Bath, Steve Bonnet began to make his way south, right? So he had been pardoned for his piracy. He was a free man once again. And he was going to go to St. Thomas and seek a privateering license or commission uh, so that he could attack ships. Now, the problem is Blackbeard had stripped his entire ship of everything, right? So there were no provisions, no food, and Bonnet really had no choice but to take what he needed from other ships. So very quickly after getting his pardon, um, he participated in kind of this forced barter. They would stop ships, take what they needed, give them things that they didn't as a trade, and then they would take off to continue south. Being late August, they ran into the mid-Atlantic hurricane season. So what a lot of pirates did is they would either hunker down or they would travel deep into the Gulf of Mexico. And in this instance, Bonnet decided that he needed to hunker down. His ship needed to be careened. He had a lot of work to do. His men were tired. He had just been double-crossed. So he went to the relative safety of the Cape Fear River, which is a place he had likely been before. Now, the problem is his reputation was kind of his downfall. So the governor of South Carolina a place that Bonnet and Blackbeard had both visited, heard that there was a pirate in the Cape Fear and sent two ships um, that were led by Colonel William Rhett um, to go kind of search out these pirates and, and chase them out of the Cape Fear. And it was then, it was in August of 1718, where Rhett trapped Bonnet in the Cape Fear, what's now called the, the Battle of the Sandbars. And he you know, Bonnet would, would take Red on in, in this, you know, really fast running fight, which comically all ships that were involved, all three ships ran aground and instead just shot at each other for several hours using small arms. And ultimately when the high tide freed the ships, you know, Bonnet and his men surrendered after only a short skirmish. So what, what could have been, you know, this big blaze of glory moment for Bonnet leaving the Cape Fear River, uh, he got stuck in a sandbar and was ultimately captured with relatively little damage done to Bonnet and, and Rhett. If you come down to the Cape Fear today, you'll be able to visit Southport and you can see a monument to Steed Bonnet. There is, well, it's actually not even a monument to Steed Bonnet. It's a monument to the Battle of the Sandbars. That is his claim to fame in our area. So it's so interesting to see it brought in a different way through the Outlander series in, uh, in the Wilmington connection. One thing I will note is Wilmington did not exist at this time. You know, Stephen Bonnet becomes a very well-known criminal in Wilmington in the Outlander series. But when Steed Bonnet is out on the Cape Fear River fighting for his life, Wilmington is not a place yet. It has not been founded. The first community in our area, Brunswick Town, which is about 14 miles upriver from where Steed had this battle, that won't be founded until 1725-1726. And so Steed is in the Cape Fear region before this was even a region that was settled. And so he predates a lot of the history that Stephen Bonnet will be a part of in the Outlander series. Now, Steed Bonnet is taken down to Charleston, and that is where he meets his fate, correct? Correct. Yep, he's ultimately uh, captured and, and brought to Charleston, where he was held for trial. Uh, also, comically, he escaped his captivity once, dressed like a woman. Uh, somebody had snuck a, a canoe out into to Charleston. He snuck out dressed like a woman and, and got to Sullivan's Island before he was recaptured. But ultimately, you're absolutely right. Is he was tried in Charleston and the trial transcript still exists, which is really fascinating, um, and eventually hung in White Garden Point, which is now the battery in, in Southern Charleston. That's another interesting commonality between Outlander and real life because 
But just last week, we talked about Flora McDonald, who helped Bonnie Prince Charlie escape Scotland after the Battle of Culloden dressed as a woman. And so Steed Bonnet also tries to escape dressed as a woman. An interesting parallel there. And as people will know who watch Outlander and read the books, Stephen Bonnet does meet his fate. He is captured after attempting to kidnap and sell Brianna. And he is sentenced to death by drowning. Now, if you listen to our earlier episode on crime and punishment, we talked about his death. And our uh, guest that week, Christine Lamberton, who is the director of the Bergwin Wright House and Gardens, where I work, she confirmed that it's not likely that would have been a very accurate death that would have been prescribed to someone in the Cape Fear at the time. But again, for thematic and visual reasons, seeing Steed Bonnet meet his biggest fear in that final moment, and then Brianna giving him either mercy or revenge, depending on how you see it, is a, is a very full circle moment. I'm curious, though, as someone who has spent years with this story, does it surprise you that he's having quite this moment in popular culture where he's being kind of seen as the inspiration for varying degrees of characters? You know, I think Bonnet's stranger than fiction real life story was one of those that was just waiting to be told. Right. And I still laugh at a really snarky response that I got from a New York City publishing house when I was pitching my book. Publisher sent me an email back after I sent them a query and said, you know, I have to pass because I've had trouble selling biographies about little known criminals lately. I'm going to pass with regret. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the reality is that historians fill in a lot of gaps and there's a lot that we don't know. And life is subject to a lot of drastically different interpretations. So I'm I'm happy about the moment that Steve's having having in pop culture. I'm not surprised. I knew that it was a story worth telling. Um, so you know, what what this moment is telling me is that fiction has a role um, in kind of leading us to, or at least leading the masses to real people and real events. And and I love it. Right? Twitter is full of tweets saying, "Today I learned that Steve Bonnet's a real person uh, for our flag means death." And I, I just think it's great. The exposure is great. I've obviously thought it was a story worth telling and spending some time on. So I've, I'm enjoying every moment of it. Well, what do you hope for Steed's story in the future? He just got a really interesting comedic interpretation with Our Flag Means Death. His story was brought up and still resonates with Outlander viewers. What do you hope for the future? You know, selfishly, I'd love to see a true life adaptation of his story. Right. I'd love to see the visual representation, the interpretations of, of the history um, brought to either the big screen or the small screen. Right. I think that's a really compelling, interesting story. I think it's got very interesting characters, even in real life, as Our Flag Means Death has alluded to, at least in fiction. The reality is that deep down, yeah, I'm a pirate fanatic and I'm a fanatic for history. So for now, I'll take the stories how I can get them. Right. Whether it's a video game like Assassin's Creed or through a podcast like this or like Real Pirates. Um, or in books or on screen. Now, I would certainly love to see, you know, Bonnet's story be expanded upon. I'd love to see some genealogical work done, right? That's something that I haven't done much of to kind of trace the roots and see what happened to Bonnet's family after he left him in Barbados. So there's certainly still some scholarship to do. And I hope that I'm just scratching the surface um, and can inspire somebody else to, you know, do some more heavy lifting and, and figure some things out, fill in some of the gaps that have been left in the historical record. 
And if there are any movie producers or TV producers that are listening to this, I'm sure Jeremy will let you option his I would his love book. to talk. <laughs> That's right. I would love to talk. Call me anytime. Uh, I figured that was the answer. Uh, now, you aren't leaving the pirate realm. You've been working on another book that's about a, a different pirate. Who is this pirate that people can look out for? Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a new book coming out at the end of June. It's called Colonial Virginia's War Against Piracy, um, The Governor and the Buccaneer. It's one of those great stranger than fiction stories involving the governor of Virginia, Francis Nicholson, and a buccaneer, Louis Guitar, who comes from Tortuga into Virginia. You know, another one of those kind of larger than life, suave French pirates uh, in a brash, not unempathetic governor who, who goes out into a naval battle with this pirate. So one of those other interesting stories that I hope resonates as well as this one has. Well, I encourage people to look out for that. I'm excited to read it, and I absolutely hope that people will check out your book, The Life and Trials of the Gentleman Pirate, Major Steed Bonnet, available now. And Jeremy, thank you so much for coming to talk about Steed Bonnet. As we said constantly, he's having quite the moment, and so this was the perfect time to bring all these interpretations together. Uh, I'm glad that you're out there talking about him. Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. Love being on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear. Join us next week as we head centuries into the future for a look at the modern-day Scottish culture that is thriving in North Carolina. With a leader of the Scottish Society of Wilmington, we will talk about how the real-life history of Outlander paved the way for a new era of Scottish heritage in America. Until then, be sure to subscribe to this podcast by searching Bergwin Wright Presents on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review, which will help more people find the show. Be sure to also follow Bergwin Wright House and Gardens on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, for the latest on what we're doing here at the site. This podcast and all the exciting projects we do at the Bergwin Wright House are made possible by donations and community support. Please consider donating to our mission to further education and preservation of Wilmington's oldest historic site by donating at the link in each episode's description or on our website at bergwinwrighthouse.com donate and the number one. Thank you so much for supporting us. This podcast was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. We would like to thank Rachel Ross for our cover art design and the National Society of the Colonial Dames of America in the state of North Carolina for their support. I'll see you next time on Bergwin Wright Presents Outlander in the Cape Fear. The Durable Restoration Company is a proud sponsor of Bergwin Wright Presents. At Durable Restoration, they specialize in exterior historic restoration services. All of their craftspeople and artisans are employees and trained in-house using traditional materials, tools, and techniques that are tried and true. They have a long list of historic landmarks across the nation that they are proud to have helped preserve for future generations. For all your upcoming restoration needs, contact Durable Restoration at DurableRestoration.com or call toll-free 
at 1-877-340-9182.